What's up, everybody? This is Matt. And I'm Nathan. Coming at you live on a Saturday night. And we hope everybody's had a good week. It's the, like the first week back, like first full week for everybody. So if your week's like mine, it drug all week. <laughs> but thankfully, we had a nice little release today. And we have some pretty big things actually to cover. And we're going to be talking about a new car that has caught both of our attention in a really big way. And we're going to be talking about the shenanigans that just went down in the garage not even an hour ago. So I guess you want to roll into what just uh, right away, you know, what just happened with the laser. Yeah, um, it was, I mean, we knew that we had wanted to get it done. Um, but today, <clears throat> today here in Ohio, it was... Uh, like 65 degrees. It was beautiful. <clears throat> so, it was, uh, it was rather rainy, but it played to our favor because of the humidity on the floor in the garage, and, um, it just helped play in our favor a lot because when you, um, do any kind of paint work, it kind of helps settle the dust, so, and obviously we don't have a paint booth or anything, but, yeah, we painted the engine bay and the laser, so... Um, it was just one of those kind of, I guess, spur of the moment things where the, the engine bay was already pretty well stripped already. Um, but we had me, Matt's daughter, Taryn and Matt were all kind of prepping it. And I went inside and taped off the holes through the firewall to the inside of the car while they were scuffing it and prepping it. And, um, yeah, pretty much it was a joint effort. There wasn't a whole lot to do, just scuff it down, wax and grease remover it really well, and paint it, so it kind of made a huge transformation in just basically a couple hours. It was like right at two hours, I mean, it was funny because Nathan was going to be diving out to go have uh, lunch with his wife, and then... You ended up, like, cooking food at home because I was like, hey, you know, while you're yeah, gone. Yeah, things changed real quick. And... Yeah, I'm like, hey, you know, while you're gone, I'll, I'll go pull fenders off it and, you know, go start doing some prep. And <coughs> Yeah, you end up cooking here and we hung out and we just went out. We zipped those fenders off of it and before you knew it, we were taking scotch Bright to the bay and, yeah, you know, you was getting everything masked off and... It's kind of funny, you know, to kind of paint a picture for everybody. And this is where things get quite hilarious when I mention <laughs> shenanigans. You know, yeah, like you said, we've talked about obviously painting the engine bay. You know, obviously our motivation's high, but that just takes it to a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. And it makes you want to do everything else high quality in the engine bay as well. Because now the engine bay looks so good. Now it would be a shame to just throw a dirty engine back in it, so. The engine bay really does look good. I mean, for anybody wondering, this is the process of events that happened. After prepping and everything being masked, we then grabbed the cheapest white paint money can buy and the cheapest clear coat money could buy. We loaded the cheapest paint money could buy into a $15 Harbor Freight paint gun, which, by the way, we stirred the paint with a strip of cardboard yeah, that we fashioned. I couldn't find fashioned. my actual paint stirrer, so yeah. a, a big, thick cardboard box we cut even, down into a strip worked 
pretty well, actually. And for everybody at home already kind of laughing, the cardboard box was a Harbor Freight toll box. Like, <laughs> it housed some Harbor Freight toll. I think it was a, for a jack or some shit. <laughs> yeah, so we cut that into a strip, stirred the paint with it, and then proceeded to paint it with the $15 paint gun. If everybody wants, you know, paint like, that probably looks like shit. It does not. It actually turned out really good. For being an engine bay, it works perfectly. It does. Like, when you, when he initially painted it before clear, I was amazed how, like, level the paint. It was so nice. Mm -hmm. And considering I've never done prep, you know, I've done prep work for small things. I've painted control arms, valve covers, but never at that level. And obviously, you know, you went through and did the final inspection prep and all that. But, you know, essentially an idiot and a seven-year-old, you know, did a lot of the prep. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you went through with the gun, painted it. And when that first layer of clear went on, it was just game over. Mm -hmm. And it totally transformed it that fast. And then you laid that second layer down. And that's where we stopped. You know, we stopped at layer two because the garage was quite fumey. And honestly, it'll probably be really good there. I didn't have my correct PPE. (laughs) No, no. I I mean, there will be a YouTube video to follow. And I'll end up dropping a link to it. But um, Nathan's respirator was a hoodie pulled up over his mouth. (laughs) I do have a respirator, but it was MIA. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) that being said you know i've never got to actually watch a car get painted like with my own two eyes other than youtube it goes a lot faster than what you think it does like for anybody who's never got to watch it happen it's a really cool thing to watch actually i enjoyed the crap out of it and i mean like me when i fabricate i don't like to dick around so i just go like get in there get it done get out of there (laughs) right i don't know i just i don't feel the need to mess around obviously there's a time for your your in-between coats that you have to allow it to flash but um the engine bay was already white the primer that was on certain spots was an extremely light shade of gray anyways so the paint covered really well so it really only had like one paint of base coat or yeah one coat of base coat so i mean and it covered perfectly fine it did it covered it so fast like it didn't really we didn't really have intention of like youtubing it but i was i was so enamored i started rolling video as it was happening and i'm like man the video quality is so good on this i mean i wasn't using a tripod or anything but it's just such good content you know i'm like i'm actually going to edit this down and it's going to go on youtube so um, obviously this podcast is going to be dropping tonight, but, uh, powershiftmedia.net, you'll want to pay attention probably Sunday night into Monday. Um, that will be on our YouTube and there will be a link there and you can actually watch Nathan a real time painting it. And I had the camera focuses in such a way you could actually see the coverage happening through the camera, like actually covering it. It was pretty, it was pretty neat. So, I mean, that's a pretty huge step that, you know, the engine bay is painted. We did it in a garage. Mm-hmm. And I think it turned out pretty spectacular. Yeah, for everything considering, you know, the cheap gun, old paint, old clear, you know. That's like nine-year-old paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's paint that I had had for uh, the duster 
but then I ended up actually having Alan get me like a gallon of it, so I didn't end up needing the quart. So that's, that that's funny because you was painting the duster like when my ex wife was first pregnant. Mm-hmm. So that precedes the birth of my child. Mm-hmm. That's how old that paint and clear was. That's how old we are. Yeah, we're old as fuck. <laughs> I mean, we're not gonna lie about it. <laughs> That being said, though, I mean... I'm enjoying my last couple months of my 20s here. Yeah, God, I wish I could still say that. <laughs> Turning 30 hit me like a train wreck. <laughs> I, I tell you, though, it, it does look good. Um, I can't wait to go in the morning and see the cured product and just kind of... I guess kind of ponder at it like in the daylight with the natural light coming mm. through, but... It was a two hour. It was a hell of a two hour transformation from yeah. prep time to you know hitting it with the degreaser and then just bam, you know spraying the bay. It it looks quite outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's obviously it's going to get dirty anyways because we're going to be running it through mud and right. gravel and all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, I mean, it doesn't suit. It, it couldn't have suited that car any better pretty much the way that I don't know it just happened fast we knew that we wanted to get it done and I when we first started I was kind of unmotivated because there is a few things that still need taken care of on the engine bay like a couple bolts that need drilled out but in my I was kind of hesitating on painting the engine bay but I was like you know what I can lay down masking tape. I can be really careful when I drill the bolts out anyways. And it's going to have plenty of time to cure before I even need to worry about drilling those out anyways. So I'll lay some masking tape. I'll put masking tape around my drill bit. And I think that I don't. I won't have an issue whatsoever when right. it comes time to do it. So it's just a couple things where I was like, you know what? I'm tired of not getting stuff accomplished, so why not do it? And look, you know, two hours later, and it's something that that car has been been needing anyway. So. For years, yeah. yeah. And just seeing a finish is almost like the equivalent of like a runner's high. It's just like, we went there, we soldiered it out, put the two hours into it, and look, I mean, look at the result of that two hours. Mm-hmm. It's... That car's engine bay the entire time you've had it. And that's always been a very nice car. Yeah. But it's never been that nice. No. <laughs> that That's, I honestly, mean, that's the cleanest 1G bay I have personally seen that wasn't, like, a full shop car. Right. It looks pretty outstanding. Yeah, for what it is, it looks good. Yeah, it definitely suits the car being a motorsport-themed yeah, car. And it's not, not a that, show it, car, so it's not, we didn't take, like, you know, a week to prep it and then, you know, use the most expensive paint, the most expensive clear that we could, you know, it was just... Makes no sense for that yeah. car. Yeah, It's just going to get dirty anyway, so... It just suits us, you know, it. it's not like a lot of people who are like, well, I'd rather wait till I have this or that. We're all about utilizing what we have <clears throat> and making it work. That's what we have always done and that's exactly what we just went and did. Yep. And it makes it nice enough now to where it motivates you to do everything else around the engine bay, like the engine, the valve cover, all the accessories on the engine to make it nice. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean it I don't know, it just works really well. 
another little thing I guess I'll drop um, right away is, you know, listeners of the podcast who've been following so are like, man, you guys been dropping on Saturdays. I've been working Saturdays. Um, the podcast from here on out will drop Saturday nights because, um, well, next week it'll probably drop on a Friday night. But the week after that, I do start back on night shift in my, you know, in my normal job. And so, yeah, we'll be doing it on Saturday nights and podcast does go on, obviously, of course, we're not going nowhere, but just uh, be expecting us on Saturday nights now because that's what I'll be rolling to Nathan's around lunchtime on Saturdays because literally I've just gotten off work from the night before. <laughs> so I did want to put that out there so everybody wasn't like thrown off by it, but it is nice like just seeing the progress that the laser has made, you know, getting the manual windows in it and getting all that deadening out, you know, you got to think, we've been hitting it hard for basically a month at this point, we've chipped sound deadening out, we've fully got the interior stripped, the subframe refurbished, um, the, now the bay has been sprayed, and at this point, we just got to get the, the, the draw bender and start, you know, fabricating the cage, mm-hmm. and it's, it's go time. Yeah get some longer leads for the welder and yeah i gotta remember that because that <laughs> the I other mean, day for now though i guess i could get away with it because the car is so close to the welder but in an instance where we might have it on the lift or something like that just gives you that wiggle room not only that you know there's been a few times like doing the fab stuff or not having the longer leads has been kind of a pain yeah. in the ass so having those will just save you that trouble down the road and, you know, it's easy enough to acquire them. Yeah. But that's definitely one thing, getting the bender. Um, pretty much once we get the bender and the tubing, though, it's going to be... I'm going to go pretty hard in the paint on it. Oh, and yeah. And I, I don't know because it'll be my first time doing a cage. But I'm going to try and knock it out in about a week to two weeks, so... I definitely think you can do it just because when something's in front of you and you're working mm-hmm. at it, you tend to be pretty damn quick about it. I get stuff. obsessed with it. <laughs> and that's how I am too. I mean, I'm the same way. <laughs> I hate starting something and not being able to finish it right like right then and there. Like if I start on something, I want to be able to like knock it out within a reasonable amount of time especially when it's something that big that's so significant obviously and moose definitely agrees he always throws the the tantrum during the podcast never during any other time like moose is for all the listeners like who have children he is literally the equivalent of like when you when your kid is being really good and then you make a phone call and they turn into like a little asshole that's definitely Moose. Yes. I'm going to let him out quick. <laughs> but as Nathan's letting the, the dog go out, because apparently he, you know, does need to go outside, but we was actually just discussing doing, like, some different liveries on the car, like, some different, like, vinyl designs, perhaps. Um, he was kind of showing me some of the old school Mitsubishi stuff from the Evo, Evo 3, Evo 4, Evo 5 rally days. So we're maybe thinking about doing some kind of cool 
life reefer the car. Obviously, they'll have to pay homage to that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like the cars that came well before it, and so as far as that stuff goes, we kind of have a direction. Obviously, we know the class we're pursuing. We discussed in the last podcast, and we're making really good progress on it. I mean, it's no small undertaking to paint an engine bay, any part of a car. It it is a big undertaking, and to me, it feels good to have that behind us. So now it's like once we have the cage done that point we can end up spraying the inside of the car have it looking nice and fresh mm-hmm. it's just i don't know it's so exciting <laughs> it's it's a big deal not only that that car has just deserved that for so long i mean i remember you priming that what like two years ago it was like when yeah. i first got the talent off you you ended up priming that engine base mm-hmm. so it would have been like three years ago yeah because i kind of got a little bit of an inspiration there for a while before i had the lift in the garage and kind of tore it apart pulled the subframe out of it because i already um had had the bushings for it so i was just going to pull the subframe out and kind of slowly work on it here and there so that's when it got primed and so it sat that way for a while when i lost motivation again and (laughs) i mean we definitely have repurposed that car into the best possible form it could be there's no question. And it's definitely been seeing a lot of love because of it. I mean, <laughs> I remember it in its heyday when it was a wicked street car. And now it's like, it's just coming full circle into a motorsports themed car. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be so cool to actually compete with that thing. And I was thinking about it, I think yesterday too, like, um, it would suck to wreck the car. But if we did wreck the car and destroy it like the car would be going out with its boots on that's that is true i mean it would suck because it would be one less dsm and you know one less laser but at the same point in time better than it ended up parting out yeah the car could have been parted out or the car um could being in ohio just rot away so i would rather see it in that instance, if it did, which I definitely don't want us to wreck. No, me either. But in the instance that it did get totaled out, um, I would feel much better about losing the car that way than it just sitting around and, you know, or go to somebody, just get parted out and junked or... That's exactly you know, what I was going to say. Even if it was still a driver and, you know, just slowly rusting away because... No matter what you do in Ohio, you can only rust prevent stuff so much, and it's still going to rust. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're obviously dead in the rust bell here. I mean, obviously, you never want to lose your car. You never want to lose, like, your investment in racing. But it's obviously always a very serious possibility. But, I mean, I agree. There's so many DSMs that were needlessly junk, needlessly, you know, fucked up for no reason. So... God forbid something did happen. It's going out in some serious glory. Yeah. Like, what happened to the laser? Well, it, you know, it got rolled as we were <laughs> yeah. competing for, you know, a podium. <laughs> it's like, okay, that makes sense. I get Pulled it. Pulled a column that crashed. Yeah, literally just, you know, sailed it right into a tree. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't want that to happen, but it. no matter what, you know, it's always a serious possibility, especially in rally. 
but we'll definitely hope not. It's a nice car, and it's awesome to see it coming back together. I know I'm, man, I'm all about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, over the last, like, six months, my motivation had been low to do anything with cars. Like, I had taken a hiatus for a while, and, you know, this has been a huge thing I know I needed between, you know, just getting back into the groove this is a big thing. I've been wanting to get into something that is motorsports related. If it says anything how excited we are, I don't think for in the history of the podcast, we've talked about the same thing for three podcasts in a row. It is true. <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely a, it's a big thing for us. And I know something we've talked about for more than a decade, you know, getting into racing of mm-hmm. some kind, yeah. you know, aside from drag racing. And... Yeah, we're both insanely motivated. We've been very consistent with working on it. Mm-hmm. I don't and know, man. It just it just turns me on. Yep. <laughs> like, like I said too, you know that once we get the tubing and the bender, it's on because then literally the same amount of prep time, pretty much, to do the inside of the car paint wise. So literally, stay on it. Try and knock the cage out in a couple weeks. And then literally I can have the inside of the car painted and ready to go within, you know, a couple hours. So then once that's done, it's literally build the engine the way that we want it and reassemble the car. Yeah, and the stuff to get to the bottom end, um, we'll probably end up getting towards the end of next month. So we'll have the aluminum rods, the the stroker pistons, um, obviously high compression. So we'll have the stuff to do the bottom end for the car and the main power disconnect, which is required by FIA for any, you know, form of competition, whether it's NASA, you know, track days or whether it's, you know, ARA, SCCA rally, you got to have it. So we'll end up getting that, the stuff to assemble a a really wicked non-turbo 4G63, which is really cool to me. Yep. I just, again, I think it, it's perfect for what we're attempting to do. And I'm really hoping that we can be decently successful with the non-turbo 4G. I think we will. Because we're running on the 85 and we'll run a lot of timing. <laughs> it Something to me tells me that we need to move into an all-wheel Talon or Laser or Eclipse, but do an all-motor build if it makes decent enough power. Oh, yeah, I mean, you... So we can compete in that class. Because you certainly could. <laughs> literally, when I was looking at all of the entries um, for the 2019 100-acre wood rally, for all limited four-wheel drive class... Probably 2.5 RSs. It was all Subarus. Yeah, 2.5 RSs pretty much dominate so that how class. So how cool would that be to go in and show up to a class in... If you know you're competitive, if that engine actually works and the combination is good, how awesome would that be? Because you know that the two five RSs are only making like that guy in his. They're pretty slow stuff. Yeah, he was saying that maybe made like 145 horsepower. So and all wheel drive DSMs have shorter gearing too. Right. So not only that, if you can get one that makes 200 all wheel horsepower, you know, to me that uh. That would be a very competitive yeah, car. Yeah, it would be awesome. 
show up that. in a car that's 30-year-old technology. A Mitsubishi, you know, product versus Subaru. You know, it's a serious homage to the, in my opinion, some of the best days of rally racing. Oh, yeah. So it would be pretty fucking sweet. Not that we don't like Subaru because we've talked about, you know, oh, eventually, yeah. depending on how serious we get into this motorsport, possibly going to a something Subaru because of the contingencies. Oh, I have a feeling it'll probably happen eventually. What I'm hoping, though, is with the what we're going to talk about here coming up next. Yes. And with Hyundai, how big they are overseas um, with the J20 competing in rally. I don't know. I'm hoping that ARA grows as a whole and people start taking notice in the U.S. And then maybe there will be more contingencies as the years progress here because literally the ARA, I think, is on like its third year, so it's still very new here. Sounds like your wife might be home. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I do think the ARA will continue to grow. I mean, as as you've stated, if you just go check the event list, it has grown so much in the last just month. Mm Mm-hmm. So, obviously, people are signing up, people are taking notice to it, and hopefully that will get more of these manufacturers to build homologated rally specials, mm-hmm. which is, like, the most perfect segue ever. You know, at the beginning of the podcast, we mentioned there's a new car that's coming out that's caught our attention. Right away, PowerShiftMedia.net, we threw an article up this morning about this car, when you think of manufacturers doing cool things right now, and I don't want to sound like that guy, but for me, I think of Hyundai. Without a doubt, I think they're building great cars right now. The Veloster in, the Elantra in, um, they're building awesome cars. I think of Subaru. Honestly, mm-hmm. the new STI, the RA, even just the basic WRX, they're great cars. Mm-hmm. I think of those guys. But you know who I don't think about? Toyota, because yeah, the Supra is here, but that's it. It's it's a rebadged M two, and the eighty sixes are good cars, but they're slow. And I I don't know I, I wasn't that sold on them. I I don't know. I didn't see what the big deal was with them. I it didn't do it for me one bit. Had they made one in like an STI version in the BRZ. And what's fucked up is they did and it had but, five more horsepower. But they didn't <laughs> turbo it. That's the that's the bad part. Basically what they did was they're like, hey, you know how it says a boxer engine? They're like, Yeah. You know how the boxer engine really sucks when it's not boosted? They're like, Yeah, we get it. But you know how like there's STI and those really do good in anything that is STI. They're like, yeah, I get it. Let's make an STI version of this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on it. And they literally gave it five more horsepower. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shame that would you. that would be the equivalent of Ford being like, hey, you know how we have a GT Mustang with a five O Coyote, you know, putting out four thirty or whatever. Let's do a Cobra, but let's make it have four hundred and thirty six horsepower. <laughs> like, what the fuck happened? Yep. So, I don't think of Toyota doing really fun cars. And in the 90s and 80s, they they pretty much rocked that. But they just did a press release. And, guys, we are enamored with the Toyota Yaris. 
right away, everybody. All things. If you haven't already unsubscribed, <laughs> <laughs> there is a Yaris called the, the Yaris GR. And what it isn't is a Yaris. Mm-hmm. But what it is is a homologated rally car for the street. They have taken essentially the Yaris name. They have re-engineered the car from the ground up with aluminum body panels, a carbon fiber roof. They've given it four piston brakes, uh, you know, race style suspension. They have quote unquote modified the suspension geometry for optimized handling and rigidity for optimized feedback, which makes me think most likely the car seam welded. They've probably moved the shock towers up for suspension travel, you know, to fit larger shocks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually option in, um, and nobody knows the cost of the circuit package yet, but a more sporty suspension, um, forged wheels uh, with 4S's, you know, Michelin 4S's. And they offering tors and diffs in it to you? Yeah, the tors in front and rear diffs. But the coolest thing, because you probably just heard us say rear diffs, this Yaris is all-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. And it's cool because it actually splits its power bias based on the mode it's in. On a normal day, it's 60-40. In sport mode, it's 30-70 with respect to front rear. But in track mode, and this lets you know this is a rally car, it's Mm 50-50. So Toyota obviously knows... People are probably actually going to rally this thing. So you're thinking, oh, it's probably got, you know, this spruced up four-cylinder. But you would be wrong because it actually has a three-cylinder. And now you're probably thinking, oh, okay, so it's like a weird version of the Fiesta Echo Boost in the UK. No, it is not. It's the most powerful production three-cylinder in history. 268 horsepower, 279 pound-feet of torque. Mm-hmm. Ceramic wheel turbocharger. If that it's isn't a rally car, nothing ceramic is. Ceramic ball bearing. Yeah. Single scroll. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Basically, a la the Tommy Mackinac Evo 6.5. So, if anybody wants to know with that 200 and... What was it? 269 horse. Yes. Weight, it's weight... Curb weight is 28.33, I think. Something That's like exactly that. That's exactly what it was quoted as. So at that power ratio, power to weight ratio, that car should easily crack off low 13s to high 12s all day, no question. And the best part about it is, real enthusiast, you know, pseudo enthusiasts need not apply. You can have this car in any flavor you want as long as it's a six speed yep. manual transmission. It's only coming with the six speed manual. Fuck off everybody else because. <laughs> BMW's pretty much axed all of them. Audi's axed all of them. Toyota's like, nah. It's only coming with the manual. It's like the Veloster and what was it, the track pack? Manual only. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I'm so happy to see that they are actually producing this thing. It, it's a manual only, <clears throat> all-wheel drive turbocharged car with a low... The biggest thing is it has a low curb weight. So it's not like they... You know, this thing weighs 3,600 pounds and they just engineered a killer suspension to, like, numb that. No, they're like, you know how, like, the Yaris kind of sucks? It's an Econo box. Let's make one fast and light. Mm-hmm. 
let's build it out of aluminum and carbon fiber and let's put four piston 356 millimeter brakes on it like i don't know what the fuck got into them but i'm glad it did mm -hmm. now right away you're probably thinking are we going to get it it's kind um, of up in the air yet nobody knows if we will get it yet what i do know is I did a currency converter based on the press release price, and it would come in right at about 40 to 42 grand. And honestly, you might ask yourself, is that worth that for a Yaris? Absolutely, it's worth it. Yes. Are you an enthusiast? Do you like these kind of cars? Support this car 100%? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Toyota knows. They only have to sell enough to homologate it. And you can bet your sweet ass if it comes to America, they will sell every one of them they need to sell, and they'll sell them fast. Yep, especially being a homologated car like that, that means that Toyota can participate more in the ARA in the U.S. in, you know, R2 classes. That's why I think it will come here, honestly. It, it seems like Rally is seeing a little bit of a resurgence in the U.S. Absolutely. Because we were talking how ironic it was that we decided to get into rally and now toyota is homologating a yaris as a rally car and in the u.s and i don't know the veloster n to me that that whole thing there i think should kind of push toyota to to sell it here because of how well the veloster n so. does why I think it makes sense is that anybody who knows the ARA knows in the limited four-wheel drive class, you can have up to a 2.5 naturally aspirated or maybe even a little higher. But if it's a turbocharged car, <clears throat> the other day we actually sat down and made a list. Mm -hmm. You're limited to 1.6 liters of displacement if you have forced induction. And, you know, we laughed aside from maybe a fucking Fiat 500L. Nothing in America actually meets that. Well, now it does if this comes here. You have to think. If you wanted to run limited four-wheel drive, you are very limited in terms of boosted applications. Right. This car stock perfectly fits the limited four-wheel drive class. You could take this car, strip the back seats, and again, the weight is almost ironic because I think you're allowed, like, minimum, you know, minimum weight is 2,600. Mm -hmm. So by the time you strip this car down, put your two bucket seats in it and you caged it, you'd be right there. Mm -hmm. So you're at the weight, you're at the displacement. To me, they built this car for limited class rally. Yep. And I, I love it for that. And I feel like if they do sell it here, that's where you're going to see them. You're going to see them in the ARA, NASA limited classes. And they're probably going, no, probably, they're going to dominate that class. And then you're going to have your actual rally teams that are competing in R2 with them as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, what competes with that? Right. Yeah, I mean, short of spending, uh, you know, 150000 200000 on a, um, like a, Fiesta R2 spec that has to be specially converted to all-wheel drive. And I don't think it's going to be as good as the, the Toyota. Honestly, right. I really don't. Because the Toyota was designed ground up for this purpose. It was not a car repurposed. Mm -hmm. The lead engineer on the project, you know, it's the big thing he was saying right away is we didn't just repurpose a Yaris. 
This car was designed literally, and I quote, from scratch. So I'm thinking it probably has spherical bearings in the suspension. It, It's probably basically a street car that is, you know, rally ready, has all the preparations. There's probably not going to be any seam sealer on it. It's probably going to be seam welded. Right. I mean, I just have a feeling that... <laughs> <laughs> little dogs trying to maneuver around the mic yeah so you might be hearing some noise feedback there there's a little min pen just ponderously walking across but i mean i don't know it's like they identified the perfect class to slot this thing into probably designed it to fit into multiple classes and be competitive right because a three-cylinder automatically, you don't get the displacement multipliers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fucking sweet. And, and you're still right at 1.6 liters. So you fit into many of the forced induction limited classes. I'm willing to bet it's going to be hilarious when the specs actually fully drop that the turbocharger is exactly 36 millimeters. I bet. I almost guarantee it is. Mm-hmm. It's probably 36 millimeter turbocharger which puts it into all those classes. And when it, when you put it into that perspective of 42 grand, it's peanuts. And not only that, why would they have a ball bearing turbo from the factory other than to get that extra spool characteristic from a restricted turbo? Yeah, because let's be honest, it's not like Toyota sits down like, you know what we should do? Make a car with fucking sweet driving dynamics as they're designing the next Camry. Mm-hmm. No, that's just not what they do. They sat down like, you know what we need to do? Build a rally car that competes and make the cost of entry reasonable. And that's exactly what they've done. Yep. I think the big thing on that, too, is overseas they rally a lot of the, what was it, the IM or something like that. <laughs> Anybody who watches Grand Tour immediately knows they um they had the grinning in them that James <laughs> May drove um, when Clarkson drove the Polo GTI and Hammond drove the Fiesta that had the three-cylinder. And that's what James May was saying is that the Grinnin' in them <laughs> was basically a car they used a lot in rally over there. So they actually did like a dust ball rally competition. And had May not have been an idiot, he probably would have done better, but May is an idiot at times. <laughs> And that thing was actually doing really well. Like, they all actually liked the car. <clears throat> but it was heavy. The Grinnin' and M was still a... It was a heavy car. It was supercharged, not turbocharged. So, to me, it's like they took that and went back to the drawing board. And they're like, uh, let's just call it the GR and lose the Nin and M. <laughs> and they gave it that ball-bearing turbo, the all, all-wheel drive system. It's like they took what was good about a focus rs and left all the things out that made the focus rs not good and we ended up with a fucking yaris that (laughs) that makes all the sense i'd be curious to what the engine architecture is based on or if it's all new being a three-cylinder with that much power that's what's confusing me that i don't understand I'm going to prophesize it's one of two things. And again, we have been supremely accurate in the past doing this. And first things first, Toyota had said when they were doing the Supra, it was not conducive to budget to design their own engine for the Supra for one car. 
So they went to BMW and got the B58. So on their Halo car, if they weren't going to build their own bespoke engine, did they do a bespoke for the GR Yaris? I, I don't know. What I think has happened is they probably went to BMW slash Mini and got their three-cylinder. Yeah. Um, that they sell, well, the i8 had a three-cylinder, but I think it was a, I think it was a two-liter. I don't recall. Could they, be like a D-stroke. It might be like the N16 from the Mini, that, or it could be a D-stroke i8 engine, because the i8 did put out good, decent power. Mm-hmm. So they probably <laughs> took it, you know, put different internals in it. I have a feeling it's a repurposed BMW engine. That's not a bad thing. I mean, shit, I'm good with it. Well, you can see how well it's working out for him in the Supra. Yeah, I mean, whether you like the Supra or not, I mean, the car performs. To me, I'm willing to bet it's going to come out that it's an N-series or a B-series of BMW engine that they've repurposed, and that's cool. I mean, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I can get behind that. But nobody has even prophesied that. Nobody's really questioned. Why would Toyota build a bespoke three-cylinder for this one car? Especially being a a limited production homologation. Yeah, because there's no money to be made on that. I mean, designing an engine from the ground up is obscenely expensive. So I'm willing to bet in the next two weeks, and this is dropping on the 11th of January... I would say by the 25th, it'll come out that it's a BMW or Mini engine. I'm it guessing. only makes sense. That's the first thing I thought as I was writing the article, that that's probably going to be what it is. I'm curious to see. I, I know I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah. To me, this early into 2020, Toyota dropped the mic right away. And, and it's it, been getting a lot of press. Yeah. And that's, hopefully, the hype keeps going on it to get Toyota to release it here. I think this is a very critical stage right now. Why they dropped it probably so early in 2020. They're probably seeing how the acceptance is. Because I think they were offering, it was going to be offered as a 2021 model. Man, I hope, because I ripped a bunch of photos from Toyota's press release as soon as... You and I was talking about this days ago, so I went and read the press release, and I, you know, just snubbed a bunch of their photos, just like Jalopnik did, just like Car and Driver did. We're all using the same photos. So it's not like somebody else has actually seen it. We all have the same photos. But I dropped them on the powershiftmedia.net. You can go look at them. It looks spectacular. The interior is sick on this thing. Mm-hmm. The engine looks cool. And looking at the intake manifold is actually what started making me think it was a BMW engine because I know those engines so damn well. I'm like, <laughs> that looks like an in like an in series engine. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I, I I dig it. I think already that's going to be one of the most significant cars this year. Whether or not we get it. Just like I said in the article, it's okay. It would suck if we didn't, but I'm glad they've made it. I mean, it it would make all the sense to release it here because historically the we never got the earlier generations of the Focus RS, but then once the Focus RS hit the US, it was like it was a godsend. You know, oh yeah. It, was, it sold very well. They were sold out when I was looking for one. The dealership had just gotten it in, and it was 2017. It was almost March 2017, and they had just gotten in 
their pre-ordered 2016 it you know then so i mean the they that know they can was, market the fuck up <laughs> yeah that was extremely well received the fiesta st was always a super good hit the veloster and with the performance car of the year in 2019 i mean why not do it That's, even if they don't give us the homologated car give us an all-wheel drive yaris maybe not even a gr call it you know trd yaris. yeah call it a trd yaris I mean, but, I don't... Because then, even if that, they only sell a couple of the homologated cars for, you know, the 40 some thousand dollars that it's going to be, bring the TRD Yaris in in the, you know, the low 30s, and all put it, the price sense. it in the same price range as the Veloster N, and then you're not only going to have an all-wheel drive three-cylinder put it at 245 horsepower 235 horse and that's still going to be a blast of a car it basically defines its own class at that point because the gtis are obviously front wheel drive and the golf r is up there in price and the golf r is heavy it's not a light car we can only hope that this will shift the market away from so many crossovers go to maybe manufacturers will start putting all-wheel drive systems into their smaller cars, you know, that somebody might not need the the extra capacity and cargo of a crossover. I don't know. That's why when the Bring Veloster... back the hot hatch. Exactly. Like, that was exactly what I was getting ready to get to. Like, when the Veloster won P. Cody, on this podcast, we had said... That's a big deal for enthusiasts because, at the end of the day, we all love a McLaren 720. We all love a Huracan Evolution or Performante. We all love those cars. But to be fair, if a 720 won it or the Huracan, it doesn't really mean shit to the enthusiast market because that is such a small niche within the market. Those super elite wealthy, they really don't mean anything to the market. But the Veloster winning P. Cody lets the auto manufacturers know that a small affordable hot hatch can go up against those cars it can go up against anything else within the markets and show that the enthusiast still cares the enthusiast still matters and that these cars still have that much appeal that this thirty thousand dollar car can have that much of an impact mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people might be like, oh, it's dumb, a Hyundai 1P Cody. No, that's a big deal for us, mm-hmm. the enthusiast. Because if you don't think because automakers pay what, attention to that, oh, they do. They know what we want is your average everyday enthusiast, not what the guy that can afford to go buy whatever car he wants. A guy who's shopping a McLaren 720 doesn't give a shit about a GR Yaris. Mm-hmm. Nope. But these manufacturers... They take it personally when they win one of these P. Cody's or they win one of the Motor Trend Awards. It is a very significant thing. So when all of them, you know, see that this car is that significant, you don't think Mazda's realizing that? You don't think that Nissan's taking notice? To they are. I mm-hmm. promise you they are. Now if we can only get Mitsubishi on board. Well, I think if the Evo comes back out, it'll be a huge deal. You know, something, again, we've talked about on the podcast, Mm -hmm. you know, partnering with Renault to do it. Might be a good chance to get them back into rally. 
just, man, I don't know. I think this car is a huge deal. Toyota, in my opinion, has not produced a car with soul since the, the last one I could think of. Like, the Corolla XRS was awesome, but a lot of people don't know about it. Mm-hmm. But I instantly think of the Celica GT4, the all-track, which we didn't get either. But I believe uh, our neighbors up north did, though. Yeah, Canadians got it, and the GT4s were sweet. There was a time they made great cars. You know, the um, SW20 MR2, the Mark IV Supra, the, you know, even the Corolla XRS with the Lotus Elise engine, mm-hmm. a six-speed and an LSD. So, I don't know. I feel like this car's huge. It's them kind of getting their balls back a little bit. Not so much following the mainstream. You know, a car that needs 500 horse, rear-wheel drive, a double-clutch gearbox. No. Good power, lightweight, manual. That's what's always worked. Mm-hmm. Now, if we can get more people in the U.S. to see that, too, that'll I think, be the biggest thing. I think Velocirin, uh, you know... I think it shook things up a lot, you know, because (laughs) there's a lot more people cross-shopping Veloster ends to cars people probably don't associate than you might want to, you know, Mm -hmm. admit. If you don't think there's people shopping a Veloster in and then going looking at a Camaro SS1LE, I can guarantee you it's happening. We're the kind of guys who have done that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, if it comes here, I I think it'll be a very good success. The RS isn't here anymore. Um, obviously, the Fiesta ST isn't here anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's axed. Its main competition becomes the Veloster N, which is front-wheel drive. The GTI, which is front-wheel drive. There's really nothing that's competing with mm-hmm. except the Golf R, and the Golf R weighs about 700 pounds more. And, I mean, if you try to rally a Golf R as is, you would fuck something up quick. It's a Volkswagen. You'd inevitably have a check engine light by turn three. (laughs) And that's another thing. Enthusiasts and, you know, mainstream car buyers, when they think Toyota, what's the first thing they think? Million-mile car. Toyotas have that, you know, reputation for reliability. So... Where we might worry about that with performance cars, I think Toyota's going to be immune to that. It's it's definitely a big deal. It's something I, I know we both really wanted to talk about. And for anybody who's not familiar, again, go read our article on the website. Um, you know, I broke down the specs the best that anybody could based on the press release. Yeah. As more information comes to light, I know we'll be talking about it. Um, there'll be articles up. It's my favorite. It's my favorite car in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you said, it actually got you excited. So excited you wrote about it. So. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of cars that do that. Like I'm so over these, you know, like half million dollar supercars I can never afford, and these, you know, other like here's the BMW X4M. Like who gives a fuck at this point? Not me. I mean, it would be a different story if we could afford them, which hopefully someday we can. But at the same point in time, right now... But does the world need another X4M? No. Does it need the X3M, the X4M, the FOT? No, it does not. Right. Like, I'm over that. You know, I want a car that is a lightweight shitbox. (laughs) 
that they build on purpose just to homologate the race. Like, that appeals to us. That's mm-hmm. what we're about. Right. I don't care that it has wireless Apple CarPlay or blind spot monitoring. I don't care. Does it have a manual? Can I get it around a corner quickly? I don't care if it has squeaks and rattles. I don't. That's why this car is so appealing to me. Yep. It's like they designed a car for me, and they're like, by the way, it's called a Yaris. I'm sorry. It's like, (laughs) if there's any one thing I have to take away, why would you call it the Yaris? But I get it, because now it's a production nameplate car. Right. Bam, homologated rally car. You don't have to (laughs) relearn the public, you know, with a brand new model of car. And, I mean, if we're being fair... It's not like the Mitsubishi Lancer was ever a good car till the Evo came along, and the Impreza wasn't exactly a fucking performance car till they called it the WRX. Mm-hmm. And, you know, was a basic Citroën a good car? No. <laughs> Any of the Peugeots? Any car that makes a good rally car, its basic, like, model of it is a shitbox. Mm-hmm. That's just, like, the rule of thumb. By the way, Ford Fiesta, you know, the one that has a lawsuit because of transmissions, <laughs> makes a pretty good rally car, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what makes rallying so appealing, I think, worldwide, is because you can start with cars that are, you know, quote-unquote inexpensive and sink just a little bit of money into them and a little bit of effort, and you can go compete. Well, and that's why Rally got big in the first place. You know, it took place in parts of Europe that didn't mm-hmm. necessarily have a great deal of money. And guys are like, hey, I can strip a lot of weight out of this thing and, like, modify it in a slightly sketchy way and I can go compete. And they did. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why the Finns and the Swedes, that's why it's so big over there. You know, these 16-year-olds are like, well, I got a VW Beetle. I could throw a crude roll cage in it and, you know, throw a Weber on it and go race and that's what they do Mm -hmm. so i don't know man i really commend toyota on this i think it's huge direct injected it's actually you know again it's a big three-cylinder 1.6 liter oh yeah direct injected um again that's another reason i think it's a bmw engine it's a direct injected engine BMW is known for, you know, across the board on almost all their engines, each cylinder displaces 0.5 of a liter. This almost perfectly follows that math formula. Which would make sense if the i8 motor was a 2 liter. Yeah. Which, you know, was follows the half a liter th- theory. I and mean... If it was a de-stroked, making it a 1.6. I mean, I... I... I don't know. I, 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 I think it would be good if it was because BMW engines, again, they're super torquey. This one is very torquey. This is a three-cylinder putting out more torque out of the box than an Evo 8 made out of the box. That's pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. Not only that, it's 2,800 pounds. That's the weight of a, it's the weight of a, um, like an NB Miata. Yep. <laughs> that little thing would be a blast. Especially with those tours and diffs and those four S's. Man, that'd be a great car to go. Like tonight with all the rain, you yep. could just be out hooning that thing. It would be an all around great car. You could rally it, you could rally cross it, you could autocross it, you could track day it. It's got aluminum panels, so you mm-hmm. could even drive it in the winter. Yeah. Being that, you know, the body's aluminum, worry a little bit less about the rust issues. I don't know. I think, 
even at its price, 40 grand's a lot for a Yaris, I get it. But then again, don't be a hypocrite, guys. You were paying 45 for a Focus with markup. And nobody batted an eye at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can't be like, ah, oh, nobody's going to buy it. No, the Focus RS did just fine. And it was, at the end of the day, it was still a Focus. Toyota knows this. They are the most profitable auto brand for a reason. They know what they're doing. They need to do it in the U.S. I mean, I, I have no doubt they're going to bring the car out, but they definitely need to bring it out in the U.S. Oh, yeah. They're, without a doubt, it's it'll be homologated. They're going to want to put it in WRC. It's a big deal. But to have it here, would I would love to walk into a Toyota dealership and park next to a beige Camry, a CVT Corolla, a Highlander. There will just be a GR Yaris. Mm-hmm. With its wide fender arches and its magnificent four pot brakes poking through its eighteen inch wheels, and I'm like, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Like that car solace, that car solace, that car solace, that one fucking rocks. <laughs> like I don't know how we got here. I'm just glad we did. <laughs> Guys, I think that's a good place to stop and go into part two. Um, we'll cut this right here. Be back in just a minute. All right, everybody, part two of the podcast. At the end of part one, we was just, you know, kind of <clears throat> talking about, obviously, the Yaris GR, which for us is like a huge deal because not only is it a sweet, like, homologated rally car for the street, just taking that out of the mix, it is a sweet hot hatch. I mean... I don't know. I love when a manufacturer takes a shit box and builds a cool version of it. It's what BMW M's, you know, the M3 was always just a 3 Series spruced up. So, is the 3 Series a shit box? Yes, it's a shit box. <laughs> so, they made a good one of it. To me, I think it's awesome. And while, you know, part one was processing, you know, we was discussing how cool would it be if Mitsu brings the Evo back. Subaru obviously has their WRX, which is, you know, in rally, they use the WRX because the STI's engine's too big. And then Toyota has this. It's like the 90s all over again. Mm -hmm. You have that three-way, you know, spearheaded competition between those guys, and I... I don't know. It, now Mazda is going to have to like bring an all-wheel drive like hot hatch out. You know, back like when they had the 323 um, GTX, when they were rattling mm-hmm. those. <clears throat> I don't know. I just think it makes things interesting. They need to. The, I don't know. I really think that the, not necessarily movement, but kind of the the manual trans movement where people are starting to take notice of how many people are so pathetic in the U.S. that can't even drive a manual transmission anymore? Blows my mind. So I think that that movement would help to bring back motorsport into the U.S. in the form of rally. Yeah, because rally, there's no automatics in rally. They're either H-pattern manual, they're like a sequential manual, like a Mm -hmm. Hollinger, or they're just an H-pattern dog box. I I don't know that I've seen an auto in rally, and for the love of God, if it's out there, I don't I want to know. I think the only one that I've seen was that Lexus ISF. 
Or no, it wasn't even an ISF. It was just an IS, I think, 350. I was going to say, I'll give an ISF a pass. Because I don't think those cool came with a manual. No. Um, ISFs were auto only. They all had the 8-speed um, auto in them. Um, normal ISs, I think you could get like a 350 with a manual. But they're really rare. Lexuses in general with manuals are not common. No. Even SC300 manuals, man, those are like unicorns, and they command money. Right. <laughs> I I don't know. I think it's a good thing. Which, you know, also, if Mitsu brings the Evo back out, obviously we would hope for a manual, because the final edition of the Evo 10, they were all double-clutch cars. Most of the Evo 10s were double-clutch cars. Mm -hmm. It was the only Evo ever to come with that transmission option. And it's saddening, but that's a whole nother discussion. (laughs) I think it's cool. I mean, it just lets you know that there is some kind of, like, resurgence going on, and if it comes to America, it just makes a big statement that at the end of the day... The biggest man, you know, the biggest markets for auto automakers is China, the U.S. We're we're the big ones, so we'll find out. You know, if they're trying to make some kind of profit off of it, it will come here. If they're just trying to homologate five hundred so they can say, "Hey, it's a road car," it may not. You know, they'll they'll sell every one of them in Japan or you know, in the Philippines or wherever. That's what they were saying. I think already Japan has seen a few of them, but they were like super crazy expensive track edition one-offs and they, they're they like really, really expensive. Yeah. There's a lot of money in Japan. Those mm-hmm. tech guys, I mean, yeah, they can, they can hang that kind of dong. <laughs> it's, it's definitely pretty awesome. I think it's a, think it's a hell of a thing and i hope to see more of them you know i it would be nice to see obviously we don't get the you know the hyundai 30 here we get the veloster but to see you know like an all-wheel drive variant of the veloster just for that purpose would be pretty awesome because mm-hmm. i mean they have hyundai does some good ass in-house engines so they you know they it's not a reasonable thing with that. Hyundai's got a lot of money now. A lot of Hyundai's tech is handed down from Mitsubishi. So. Sure is. Yeah. But, I mean, the Gen Coupes use the 4B11, just a detuned. And, you know, a lot of their cars still rock that architecture. So, they're so profitable, they're doing their own in-house engines now, and... It's not a reasonable thing they couldn't take a Veloster or shit. I'd love to see an Elantra mm-hmm. and, you know, dumb it down to 1.6 liters, you know, like the first gen Velosters were. Well, there, there's your open class rally car or your, you know, your limited class. Mm-hmm. To me, it makes all the sense. Guys would definitely buy it and you do see them doing overseas. As we've seen in, you know, the WRC videos, those Hyundai 30s, those things fucking rock over there they're everywhere Mm -hmm. over there obviously we don't get the big euro manufacturers like peugeot and renault so one day could fill that stopgap real easy yep because overseas there's all kinds even more than that you know you got your seats and your skodas and the v-dub family that we don't get here yeah like the polos the polos Mm -hmm. are really big and rally yep huge 
obviously Ford stopped selling smaller cars here in America. They went to like C Maxes and Echo Sport. They went to all like the the dumb shit mm. that people like us just don't care about. That's what worries me. We're seeing that kind of like movement here. So when a car like this comes out, you hope that it makes enough of a splash to where other manufacturers take notice and they want to bring something out to compete with it. If manufacturers don't start making cars to compete in a class like that, the class will just go away. And that's just the way it is. That's why SUVs got here. Um, BMW bringing out the X5 was a big problem in hindsight because it literally created the, 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 as BMW called it back then, the SAV, the sports activity vehicle. That one vehicle made enough of a splash that Porsche decided to make one, and then everybody followed suit. So one good vehicle that is good enough that it sells has been proven to set those kind of precedents. Mm-hmm. So Hyundai, please sell a lot of Velocers, and Toyota, please sell lots of like really cool Yaris's because maybe then Ford will get their balls back. Maybe even GM will build a car that on paper works good, but just breaks all the time. <laughs> but even then, it'd be nice to see it. And now there's just not a lot of it, you know? There's no Dodges? No. And for Dodge to, like, bring back an Omni, I would be all about that. Yep. Please, for the love of God, bring us one. They can have crank windows, no AC. Just and call it an Omni or a Horizon. You close the door and the window rattles, and I'm in. I don't even <laughs> care. I don't know. I think it would be cool. I think that market... Right now, it's not a big market, but enough people take notice. That's how markets shift. We don't need more SUVs. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm so over it. It makes me <laughs> very upset. The other day, I drove through Columbus, literally, and there were like 19 cars in front of me, and every one of them, I kid you not, were SUVs. Yep. I literally wanted to crank the wheel of my semi hard right, hit the divider, and just off myself. I'm like, this is not the world I want to continue living in. I'm like, come on. I don't know. It's. I don't know what people think. Makes me think, and anybody listening can always fire us an email and chime in because I think it's a fun discussion. But what car? in existence right now that is sold here in the USA could benefit from having a cooler model of it. Obviously, you can't use the Toyota 86s because that's an easy one because they kind of suck stock, but they could be great. (laughs) I don't know. When I think of a car that has like an existing model right now, I think of the Honda Fit. I would love to see like a spruced up Honda Fit because even though Honda has the Type R, which is awesome, I'm glad they have it. I would rather there be like a really spruced up fit that's or lightweight. Take like the Type R engine, put it in the fit, make it all wheel drive. Yeah, <laughs> that would that not be amazing? Because I like the way the fit looks, and I like the fit's dimensions. I like the fit's, you know, lightweight. Same with the Mirage. Mitsubishi should totally cram a bigger engine in the Mirage or boost the existing one. Or if they would just take the steps like 
what Toyota is and do, you know, homologate these cars, make them a one-off, you know, ground up, start over, but, you know, put these name badges on them. It makes sense because it is almost like a fuck you to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Everybody just needs to be more like Hyundai. <laughs> Honest to God, they do. Because that's essentially what they did with the Veloster in. Most of the underpinnings of that car are very bespoke. There's not a lot shared with basic Velosters. So many things are different on it. I hate that everybody cuts corners. Like, Don't even get me started on like Mercedes-Benz with AMG Sports. Yeah. Like, here, I throw a badge and some cool seats in it and charge 20 grand more. Like, fuck off, really? But, yeah, you still don't get an AMG. No, at the end of the day, when you pull up next to a poverty-spec C350, you essentially are in the same car. (laughs) So, yeah, to redesign a car from the ground up to actually fit a name, now that's pretty awesome. I don't care what it's called. I don't give a shit that it's a Yaris. I don't even care if it's a Chevy Cruze if it's good. If it's good, I'm I'm good with it. That's fine. Speaking of a hot hatch BM or Mercedes though, the GLA forty five. You know, if you had a lot of money to throw around, like a lot, like if you have that fuck you money, the CLA forty five sedan, because obviously the GLA would work too, but the CLA has like that lower roof line and stuff. If you had that like legit fuck you money Mm -hmm. to buy one used for like 33 grand and then strip that thing out that would be an amazing rally car because quick specs guys (laughs) two liter four cylinder of course all of them are automatic so you're gonna be that guy but it's plausible because we didn't get it in a manual but it's all wheel drive they that was the highest production horsepower four cylinder and it still might be they were putting like 380 horsepower out of a four banger. <laughs> that would definitely make for a really fast car on dirt. <laughs> Could you imagine how well that thing would perform with that much torque? I would be curious because don't those things, don't they run those at like 30 some PSI? 30, 40 PSI? Stock, they were at like 35 PSI. Yeah. That so you might have to run a restrictor and lower the boost on it, but still, that I imagine thing, it still make over 300 horse. Because they were slightly heavy stock. I mean, they were like 35 or 3,600 pounds, maybe heavier. If you could get that down to like 32, that, dude, that thing would need wings because it would fly. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. The GLAs are pretty cool. A lot of people forget about them because yeah. they they were like considered a crossover, but I don't see them like that at all. <laughs> no, it was such it, it's way too small to be a crossover. It's almost like an all road. Mm-hmm. It reminds it, it's you so more short of that. though. Yeah, it, it's like the stance and the stature of an all road, but the the size of like a Veloster. It's almost like an Isuzu Via Cross that doesn't look like somebody on acid designed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. They're so. I mean it. Really, they're not all that big. No, they're not. I think they were actually built on the same platform as the CLA. But they said, you know what the market needs, a CLA with a higher roof line. So somebody that's somebody that's over three and a half foot tall can ride in the back seat, <laughs> GLA 45. Yeah. Because if you're my height and you try to sit in a CLA, it's not happening unless you cut me in two pieces. 
And even then, my torso might hit the roof. <laughs> I did see that what makes me think of it is the one that sits at the used car lot over in Tiffin. It is very, very lightly used. I think it had yeah. like 4,000 miles on it. They're hot. It was a year old, and I want to say it was like mid-30s. Yeah. AMGs take a serious hit in depreciation. They are a train wreck when it comes to value. <laughs> you could go buy, except for AMG GTs and SLS, like that's different. But if you I know, of course, the one AMG that I do want. The yeah, AMG those GT. will hold their value. <laughs> Absolutely. But like a C63 AMG, an E63, a CLA45, a GLA, you could buy that thing new for like 65 and if you drive it from here to Mickey Mart and then park it, it's now worth 38 mm-hmm. You just, that just happened. Congratulations, you just played yourself. That's anybody who buys a new AMG that is not a GT or a GTS, yeah, you played yourself. The joke is the car itself and its depreciation curve. <laughs> They're great cars, though, and I'm not knocking them. I, there's not an AMG out right now, a real one, not this AMG sport shit. But the real AMGs, I love all of them. I mean, I have nothing against any of them. Other than the fact they retain value about as much as amateur art. <laughs> but, yeah, that cars like that are a big deal. Just, if Mercedes would give us three pedals at some point, that would be something else. But I don't think it'll happen. Not in the U.S. The only Mercedes I can think of you could get with three pedals, aside from, like, the really unique 190s that weren't Kazi cars... But the 190 Cosworth, they had three pedals. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's never been a big three-pedal company. I always thought that'd be a cool car to make as a rally car, too. 190 Cosy. Even just like a 190E in the U.S. Fuck yeah, like I a, love them. Like the 2-3 190E. 190 Cosy would be sweet mm-hmm. if they didn't jump in value so much yeah. recently. They turned into E30M3s just one day. Yeah, something rear-wheel drive with, you know, moderate power would be a lot of fun like that, yeah. I mean, Mercedes has good dynamics, just the good ones are expensive, and some of the expensive ones just aren't good. (laughs) (laughs) Another car I think would be good, and I'll I'll get shot for this immediately, but the Mini Cooper S, Mm -hmm. without a doubt, because those did have one sixes. That is that. Well, they're front wheel drive. Still though. Well, I was gonna say there's an all wheel drive. One. Well, the co- could, the countryman, and I you don't could even still like run to... a limited front wheel drive. Yeah. Even though being a one six turbo. Dude, those things rocked. Act. They were quick. Not only that, they handle too. BMW guys like to like pretend minis really suck, but in reality, they don't. They're great cars. But the pacemen just don't talk to me about that thing. It, <laughs> that's an abomination. They basically took a Mini and put it on a BMW X1 chassis and were like, it's a paceman. No, that's a fucking abomination. Let's just call it for what it is. Right. The Cooper S, yeah, I think that'd be a good car for that. I don't know. There's some decent cars out there that would be good at it, but... Problem is everything's gotten heavy. So you'd have to get really creative to get weight down on so many of these new cars because of crumple zones and all that crap that, you know, new cars have. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's like one of the lightest new cars I have actually heard released is that Yaris. Being all-wheel anyways. That Half the time I forget that, that that's an all-wheel drive car that's that light. That might be the lightest production all-wheel drive car in like the last 15 years. Legitimately, that might be it. Because even Evo 8s were like 3,400 pounds. Right. That thing's light. That's like Lotus light. It'll be a handful. At that power-to-weight ratio, <laughs> definitely capable of, you know, high 12-second pass. You got to think, with Taurus and LSDs on dirt, that thing will have no problem rotating under braking or throttle. Mm-hmm. It's That thing will be very alive. I don't know, man. It's got, it's got my attention. Just nuts, because most new cars don't anymore. Like, I'm so immune to it. At this point, nobody has brought out anything cool like like that. Like, don't get me wrong, the C8 got my attention. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you've even, been talking about even considering getting one. So. Yeah, I have, and it like, I love it. But honestly, even though I mean, yeah, it's a lot of money. But even though the Yaris is within fifteen grand of the C8, I would that probably sway you. Yeah. I, yeah, I would opt for the Yaris. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, the Yaris is more me without mm-hmm. any doubt. Yes, I would be the guy who bought a Yaris over. Oh my god, <laughs> could you imagine that conversation in ten years? So now, kids, let me tell you about the time I bought a Yaris and not a Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> In that instance, though, oh, shit, that's a major role reversal because it's like normally your Yaris guys are your your guys that are extremely, you know, they need a car to get to work. Yeah, like they make a nice Yaris, so like it's the guy that wants to go to the country club and hang out with his friends, but he wants to be able to save the money, um, you know, on gas. So he can buy the little bit more expensive, the latte, and be able to buy the little yeah. bit more expensive golf clubs. He's like the frugal guy who like keeps an iPhone 8 for like four years because he's not going to spend his money on an 11. He's like, nah, I'm good with it. I'm just going to keep the 8. I can afford the 11, but I'm not going to do uh-huh. it. That's your Yaris driver. <laughs> so imagine hard parking a Yaris GR next to a C8 and just jumping out. I would be that guy. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. But when you put it in that context, it is quite hilarious, yeah. Like, I would be the guy who cross-shopped a Yaris with a C8 all day. Yeah, I'd be, I, that's me. Mm-hmm. That's how dumb of an enthusiast I am. Just goes to show you that if, you know, we're doing that, obviously it's going to happen elsewhere. Oh, yeah. There was a time I got flamed on a BMW forum. Because I told people, with a completely straight face, that people would cross-shop cars like the Cayman GT4 and a BMW M3 and a Focus RS. I was like, you're a fucking idiot. Turns out, I was very right. Because there are a lot of people who bought a Focus RS and then immediately went out and bought an F80. Or in some instances, people got rid of their F80 to get an RS. I've seen that many times happen over and over. So I'm like, who's laughing now? I'm not the only <laughs> enthusiast that thinks like this. Right. Out of the many millions and millions of Americans, I'm sure that 
it at least happens a few times. Even if it happens 2% of the time in the car buying market, that is still millions of times. So it's a lot of opportunities. There's guys on forums saying they're cross shopping, you know, like C7Zs pre-owned and Veloster Ns at the same time. And even I'm like, that's a parallel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I have a supercharged, you know, I think they're called the LT. Yeah, they're LT1s again. Or I could have this Veloster. I mean, man, I'd probably take the Veloster anyway, but this goes to show you those parallels we were making eight and ten years ago, it's more commonplace now. Right. So we're not serial killers. I think a lot of it has to do with that the automotive an automobile shopping experience now is such more of a bigger investment. Yeah. So people are trying to cross shop in areas where they may or may not have just to get the best deal because, you know, loans are going for so long. That's that exactly what I was going to say. It's You're investing a lot more than just your, you know, eight, ten years ago it was a four- or five-year loan. Now it's six- or seven-year loans. Yeah, now auto loans are literally lasting longer than the average marriage. Mm-hmm. So, when you buy a car, you're quite literally marrying that car. So, you better be semi-happy with it. Could I be happy with a C7 for six years? No way. There's no way I could be happy with that. I like C7s, but I couldn't live with it for six years. Eventually, I'd be like, I'm tired of driving a GM. Right. (laughs) Now, a Veloster N, yes, I could, because that shit has warranty throughout the length of the loan that I would inevitably avoid in the second week anyway, (laughs) but it's there. And not only that, it's a, for me, it's a car that meets my purpose in life. You know what I mean? I want to go drive fast on twisty roads, and I like, you know, the way they sound. That's where, it's so paradoxical, but that's where, like, this Yaris makes sense. Could I live with a car like that for six years? Fuck yeah, I could, because they remind me of DSMs in a way. They're plucky, they're, obviously at that light of a weight, it's not like this car is loaded down with luxury features. It's not like you're buying this Yaris because you just can't get over the banging sound system. (laughs) You're buying it because you know what it does well and you don't care about what it doesn't do well. That's where I I hope to see the market shift more towards that. Like, I was so bummed when Audi got rid of the manual trains and the A4. It just lets you know the times that we're in right now. People are buying it more to floss it and say, I have a new Audi. Not because it's got good driving dynamics. Yeah, it's, I don't know. In the the 80s and 90s, the what the higher-end cars, it seems like the, the Audis were, you know, kind of king of the hill and the, an all-wheel rallying versus nowadays that's the Audi all-wheels are more of your entry-level luxury, luxury car. Back in the 90s, you <coughs> didn't buy 
an Audi 200 Turbo on accident. You knew what you were going to buy. Mm. Like, you could buy a normal Audi 90, which was a great, like, modest car back then. But people like us, they bought the Quattro because it meant something back then. You know, the, the Audi 90 Quattros and... Now it's like every fucking Audi's badge is a Quattro, and now you have S-Lines, and mm -hmm. I don't know. I think when you start sub-branding your normal cars, that's when you start seeing those cars decline. Like, the day Dodge brings out, like, fucking RT Sport, and they equip it with a Pentastar, that's when I'm just gonna go hang myself. <laughs> the brands that have actually stayed pure, they don't do that. Right. Like, Again, I hate to say it, but Hyundai's doing it right. Mm -hmm. They throw that little N on the car, that one's special. However, I wasn't a huge fan of them making an N and then the N track pack or whatever it was. I think the idea of it was, was they were offering, you know, a faster version of a normal car, but then they offered the hardcore one that might be too hardcore for normal people. Which, again, I'm not such a huge fan, but, hey, at least they still offer the hardcore one. And then somebody like my dad might not like an N, but, like, the one under that, he could probably live with that. It's still an N, but... It's just a know. little softer. Yeah. That's the only thing that kind of didn't impress me with the N, because I was so excited when I looked at that black one. I was like, yeah, this is an N, but then I found out it didn't have the big brakes, and it wasn't the 275 horse one, and I was kind of yeah. bummed out. It's kind of like what they did with the Genesis. Like, you could get a Gen, a Gen Coupe, and you didn't just want the normal one, even though it was still a pretty good car. You wanted the R-Spec yep. that was intentionally stripped down. Like, R-Specs didn't have crews. Mm -hmm. It was the one with the Brembos. Like, you had to get the R-Spec to get the Brembos. But also... But I, I like I like that about Hyundai though. It's Was like that in, all of them. Yeah, on the they R were spec, all in R spec. If they had Brembos, yes. So it's like a if you want the Brembos and you want the sport suspension, you don't really need cruise control. And I'm like, I get it. I like it. It kind of rubs some people the wrong way, but yeah, fuck them. <laughs> they still sold them. Yeah, on any of the, like, Gen Coupes that were our specs, they were going to have your, you know, your bigger Brembo's and all that limited slip diff. I don't know, man. I like that. I like that ideology. Putting, paying more to take things out of the car, but put things back. <laughs> so it's like, you lost crews, well, you got a limited slip. But that's a trade-off I'll make all day. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people are going the opposite. They're like, oh, here's, you know, this package for four grand that adds in blind spot assist. How about turn your fucking head to the side? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or there's instances, too, where people buy these things and they don't know what they're buying. My mother. They try and, you know, convert them to non-performance. And uh, the only reason that it even came to my mind is because my dad was complaining the other day about... Um, if you're not familiar, if I haven't talked about it on the podcast, my dad has a 2019 Dodge Challenger Scat Pack 1320. Yeah, we've discussed it like here and there. It's a mouthful, long name, but the 1320 was specific for the drag strip. 1320 for drag racing. 1320, 1320 feet and a quarter mile. But he was saying he's part of a Facebook group. 
and there was somebody on there who was trying to um, get the car. Basically, they bought a 1320, and they were trying to pull the drag radials off of it and put, like, normal touring tires or just, like, a regular Challenger tire on it because they wanted to... I mean, I understand they're spending the money. They want to use the car and drive the car. I don't understand. But... (laughs) (laughs) Buy a normal scat. Yeah, buy a scat pack if you want normal tires on it. And in that aspect, they still come with the Eagle F1s, which are extremely grippy. Yeah, you're not going to drive in the winter. So... Why buy the dedicated model to try to Because they didn't know or somebody... Like, I was talking to him about somebody went in, they were looking at a Hellcat, maybe not a new one, but a used Hellcat for in the 50s, but then the dealer was like, but wait, I have this car that has the Demon differential, the Demon axles, you know, the Demon transmission. It's basically a naturally aspirated Demon. Yeah, and this is such a special car, it's, you know... They only made a limited production of them, and you can have this for forty-five grand instead of this used Hellcat for fifty-five. Grand. And that kind of guy, to be honest, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody out there, but a guy that's that unknowledgeable, that's that out of tune with cars, should he be the guy piloting a Hellcat while I'm on the highway with my child in the car? Fuck no. Because <laughs> if you don't even know how to discern the differences and you're wanting to put touring tires on this high-performance car, mm. I can promise you you will have that Hellcat for less than a week and there will be a part-out thread somewhere. <laughs> like, if you're that clueless, I really don't trust your ability to handle 707 horsepower that's available off idle. I don't know. In my instance, I wouldn't have been swapping tires I would have a dedicated set of set tires. Of wheels. Yeah, a yes. set of wheels with tires. Even if you bought, like, a set of Brass Monkeys or... Bingo. Something like that, just to swap back and forth, or... My opinion, if you're buying a Scat, if you're buying a 1320, that's but I, exactly right. Yeah, but I wouldn't be buying the 1320 to instantaneously pull the drag radials off in favor of some Continentals. That is the equivalent, literally... And I don't know any other analogy to make, so this might fall like on deaf ears for some people. But that's the equivalent of paying like ten grand to get like the new premium Rolex sub with the ceramic bezel and saying, you know, I want it to look older, so I'm gonna put an aluminum one on it. Right. Like fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Those kind of people drive me nuts. Like, yeah, I'm gonna buy like the drag focus version, but I'm gonna throw some fucking Kumho Solaces on it. Yep. Because I don't like the tire noise. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Why? <clears throat> That's what he was saying. He's like, man, they're only, they only made a thousand of them. That's three times rarer than the Demon, and they're just wanting to try and make it normal. Good. <laughs> I want all thousand of those cars to be in the hands of people like us and not hands of people like, like that. Like that, yeah. Yeah. If you're buying that, take it to the drag strip, do lots of burnouts with it. That's the whole point of that car. Yep, use it for what it is, take care of it, keep it stored away in the winter. If you live in the Rust Belt like we do, and exactly like my dad does, keep it under a car cover. You know, it's that car is pampered how it is. It's run hard when it's supposed to be run hard, and then it's babied and pampered when it's supposed to be babied. Exactly. 
That type of car buyer just drives me nuts. Those are the kind of people who go buy a Cayman GT4, and then they're, like, on a forum. They're like, is it normal to have this much tire noise? <laughs> or that's, like, when like, you really? drive past a Chevy dealer and you see a scat pack sitting out there because you know they traded it in on a 1LE Camaro. I don't even want to get into that because that <laughs> hurts my soul in the worst kind of ways. Somebody actually got ridiculed at one point, but I actually defended this guy. I, I couldn't tell you what happened, but there was, like, this thread. Somebody had traded in an F30 328, and it was sitting in a Kia dealer, and it was a thread on a BMW form. Like, he probably traded in for a Stinger. What a tool. And I'm like, not really. <laughs> no. An F30 328 is nothing to write home about, huh. guys. That Stinger would gap it all day and it drives better to boot and i think it looks better and i'm a stinger hater and i can understand that dude i caught so much shit for that and i'm like okay take off the fact that you guys all drive bmws because you think it's cool take your blinders off for a minute pull the bmw i'm a bmw guy off of that 328 the stinger is a better car exactly don't tell you guys he traded up if you don't have that bmw roundel on a 328, what yeah. do you have? An F30 in general, honestly, trading it for anything is trading up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I traded my F30 today. What'd you get? I got a new Accord Sport. Good trade. Yep. <laughs> Dude, I caused so much hate for that. I'm like, I'd, I'd be the first to tell you if somebody gave me an F30 328, like, just gave it to me, like, and somebody approached me, I got a Stinger GT4, but say no more, I'm in. <laughs> I'm like, get me out of this car into that, because that's, that's a trade-up. I just remember laughing about that, and dude, I, you're such a hater. I'm like, no, no, not at all. That guy made a good move. I don't know <laughs> what to tell you. That's just, that is funny. And that, uh, enthusiasts like that, though, and car buyers like that is how we got here. That's mm-hmm. how we got to BMW X4Ms. Yep. That's how we got to Lamborghini Urises. Like, pointless cars that shouldn't exist, but they because do. Because people don't know what they're looking for, other than the fact that when they go in, the salesperson throws them this pitch that, hey, this M-Badge means that this car is something special. And that's yeah. the only reason that they have those. And yeah, yeah, that's why M-Sports exist in, like, X1s. <laughs> that's what's so confusing, though. Audi, you know, and I love Audi, so I like to pick on them. Like, we won't sell you a manual A4. We won't sell you a manual TTRS or RS3, which is by far, arguably, two of the best cars on the market. Because nobody will buy them. But then you know what they go and do. They're like, by the way, we know nobody buys these cars. But here is a hundred plus thousand dollar wagon with the twin turbo V8. It's the RSX. You can buy that, though. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how people get their logic. I don't at all understand it. It's almost like they ask, like, Siri, like, hey, <laughs> should I, like, build a wagon to make it fast? Yes, you should. And I agree with that decision. But you won't throw a manual in an A4 because nobody will buy it. Like, um... Yeah, unfortunately, that's the world we've come to. The people who make these decisions... I honestly think if you put all of them in a room, the collective IQ of the room would be like nine. <laughs> I, I I don't know how the 
we get to that. But I'm glad the RS6 exists because I love it. It's just if you can build a car like that and justify it to corporate, why can't I get a manual on my A4? Right, even a limited amount of me, or you know, give it a make an you special option. order it. Yeah. I don't. I would wait five months to get it because right. I don't. I'm tired of double clutch everything. Like <laughs> I, I'm over it. Like why wouldn't I want a TTRS with a manual? That car has no redeeming qualities if it doesn't have a manual. And I love TTs, but that's the whole point of it. It's a small car with a manual. Yep. Otherwise, why not buy a Miata? I don't know. Mazda's still doing it, right? You can buy a Miata today that has zero practicality, a manual transmission. Makes no sense, and that's why I love it. Mm-hmm. That's what they're... I think we were talking about that where more than 50 or 70% of the Miata roadsters were... God bless those people. ...were manual, so... Yeah. The statistic for the United States as a whole in the manual transmission market was solely uh, kept alive by the Miata. Miata's a big deal for the manuals. Mm-hmm. So many of these enthusiasts on these groups will admit, like, I don't know, I just never wanted to drive a manual, so I drive double clutches. Like, I'm not trying to, like, sound like an elitist, but I am. If you can't drive a manual, are you really an enthusiast? No. Like, not to, like, single anybody out there who's listening because, you know, we appreciate anybody who listens, we appreciate anybody who has our passion, but your wife is sitting, like, six feet away from me, and she daily drives a manual car. Mm-hmm. Six speed, a tur- a turbo, uh, Yeah, a turbo, turbocharged manual transmission car. But you're an enthusiast who's driving a GTR, but I don't know how to drive a manual. Come on now. That, I, I don't, I, I couldn't admit that out loud. I was driving a manual when I was, like, 13. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a lot of why we're seeing them decline. Then people have just gotten that lazy. They're like, well, I can't text and drive if I got a manual. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just too much work at that point. Can you text and drive in your manual? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say I haven't done it in the town. You know, a car that tries to kill me all the time. She's not going to self-incriminate. I mean, I will. I've literally been having full text conversations while managing torque steer while shifting gears. Like, it's it's what you do. Whatever, he's like, well, I can set my cruise and my lane departure warning will let me know if I start getting out of my lane. <laughs> all while my double clutch holds my gear. Yeah. Like, I hate society. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where if I'm buying a car, I'm buying a car to enjoy it. Yes. But at the same point in time, that's where it depends on what car, too. Like, well, in, yeah. in the Scat Pack 1320, it makes all the sense. That car should be automatic. It should be. Yes, it should. It's a drag-focused car. When I had my Scat Pack, I can't say I had buyer's remorse, but that was the only thing that bummed me out a little bit was when I went to the track and the, the manual held thing, it back. Yeah, the damn thing wheel hopped so bad because the the harshness, just that little bit of harshness on the engagement of the clutch loaded up, you know, it kind of snapped the, 
the whole entire drivetrain to where it would start to wheel hop. Where in the auto, they essentially are, they don't even have that issue. Yeah, the computer regulates that output of torque in a yep. way that that doesn't happen. You know, so, they've engineered it out. But that car in a six-speed, you turn the traction control and the stability control off and just rip some corners and freaking do some donuts. Then it makes all the then sense. Then it makes yeah. all the sense because you can hold it in that gear that you want. You can pick what gear. You can clutch kick it. You can, you know. It was all the fun in that aspect. But I, it goes on what you're going to use the car for in a performance aspect like that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if it's a drag-focused car like the 1320, I love the auto, and mm. it makes all the sense. Now, not to say that I wouldn't prefer a manual for a drag car, because in certain platforms, they do work really well. Oh, yeah, for sure. But in that instance, in that particular car, the 1320 is better in an auto. Yeah, just the way it delivers torque and how quickly it delivers mm. it, the auto just, it, it does work better. That's why, honest to God, I was so glad when I read the press release of the Toyota. Right away, the first thing <laughs> yep. I thought is they're going to fuck up. <laughs> it's a rally-inspired car, turbo engine, all-wheel drive. I'm like, I'm waiting for the double clutch. Yep. i literally waiting to see seven-speed DCT. No, it's like six-speed manual only. And I'm like, mother, only. they get it. Not a, not a CVT. No. Not a double clutch. They get it. Only. A six-speed man. But yet the Supra only comes with an automatic. Mm -hmm. That makes me slightly sick. But that being said... It's much more appealable to the masses. Anybody can drive it. I'm very glad that they didn't give a shit about the non-driving manual people. Like, this is a rally car. It needs to be manual. Mm -hmm. Hyundai is like, it's a Veloster in. It needs to be manual. I'm like... Thank you. And no offense, but you can put anybody in a car and send them down a drag strip. You know, that's a production car. Yeah, like, because it won't, straight it off will of not the, let itself get Straight away. off of the dealership, you know, the lot, go to the drag strip. I don't care who you are in an auto car. If you get the fundamentals of when the light turns green, go. Yeah. And when you pass the big board, slow down. You can run the quoted time with the car. You can run that car. Yeah. Ford says the Mustang drag pack will run an 11.6 with an auto. Almost anybody that is not completely inept will run an 11.8 with it at least. You can't just do that with a manual car. No, that's where the driver becomes the car. Right. That puts a little bit more of a challenge to it. But then if you twist it up even more, put them on gravel yeah. in a manual car. That's a full driver sport right there for that But then you reason. put them not only on a straight line in gravel on a car, you throw in some gravel, switch back to asphalt, back to gravel around mm -hmm. a bunch of curves and... Now you have to focus on corners, what gear you're in, gear changes, braking modulation, steering input, counter. Yeah, that is where the driver is absolutely quintessential. An automatic does you no good in that setting because you need... Even some of the best DCTs will override your inputs and they won't let, some of them won't let you redline. I've experienced some of those transmissions and I hate them. They're, they're stupid. 
And a manual, it doesn't give a shit. It can't change gears without you doing it. <laughs> it does not discern. The ECU might be like, why is he doing this? <laughs> but it's not like it's going to stop it. Right. That's why, like, in rally, that and, like, well, back in the day, you know, track racing was shunned if you had an auto, but now, obviously, everybody yeah, has a double DCTs, clutch. Yeah. McLaren, Lamborghini, Ferrari. They're so lightning fast anyway. They're insane. It's ridiculous. Porsche's PDK. Anybody who's never driven mm-hmm. a PDK Porsche, I'm not going to sit here and act like it's not amazing. Obviously, it's, they're good, yeah. It's <laughs> And what's cool is on the, the GT cars, like on Turbo S's, GT cars, the came no, Cayman GT4 was all manual. So, like, GT3 RS, like the 991.2, they were all PDK. The Turbo S's, you can actually clutch kick those PDK cars, I've been, I've been told, mm-hmm. by holding both paddles in, like, first, second, or third gear. It will hold the clutches open. Yep. So even Porsche's like, eh it's still not as fun but if we do this if we can sucker these manual guys in which they did it made sense Uh like i can clutch kick a dct yeah fuck it i'm cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is sweet because i don't know of any other dcts you can do that with right but that's pretty awesome i'll give them a lot of credit on that even though they knew that car was focused on lap times they still made it fun a clutch kick makes no sense unless you're trying to drift yep hoonage and Porsche's like, eh, let's let people hoon. So thank you for that. Yes. That to me is cool. That one gets a pass because of that. But just a normal like DCT, because you know it saved 2.1 seconds around the Nürburgring. I, dude, I don't give a shit. I'd rather run slower. <laughs> yep. I don't know. We'll see where the automotive market ends up in this. You know, it's a new decade. So maybe we'll see some trends, but... I don't know. Starting off a new decade with a car like this is a good sign. Obviously, Hyundai hasn't released a press release saying, well, Veloster ends no more, so there's hope. <laughs> yep. But, man, the, like the take rate on Golf R's, they're all DSGs. It's pretty sickening. You don't see a lot of 6MT buyers anymore. But, yeah, Rally is the one sport that changes that because even in, like... Now, like, GT3 road, road racing and the GT4 classes, most of those are, you know, they're paddle shift cars now. Yeah. All Ferrari Challenge cars are paddle shifts nowadays. So, Rally stole that one sport where the manual is, it's, you know, the gold standard. Mm-hmm. So, here's the hope in it. As you said, you know, it continues to catch on and grow here because... That will keep more people buying more manual cars so they can't compete. I don't know. I think if you show up in an auto, you're going to get weird looks. <laughs> we can only hope that yeah. people realize and, and they keep it alive. Obviously, the Miata owners, they get it. <clears throat> so if That's such can... a niche cachet of buyer. Right. So they, know, they don't go to a Mazda dealer wanting a Miata and walk out with a Mazda 3. Right. They know what they're showing up to buy. They don't want to hear your sales pitch. They want this car this way and this color. And I'm guessing those guys, too, or gals, probably isn't their only vehicle. Yeah. They're probably buying it as a you know a weekend car to go run along the, you know, the lakeside or 
curve through the cut through the mountains or something like that so it's the only point to a miata because they're not great dailies right. you know what i mean like the wind noise is high and all that i mean i love a miata buyer they literally know what they want and they buy it exactly as they intended and you you could say the same about porsche buyers you know guys show up buy a cayman they want a gt4 they are leaving only in a they don't go there trying to buy a cayman gt4 and they'd open them a con you know what i mean right so the take rates on those and manuals are still pretty strong too, thankfully. I don't know. I I hope to see that trend move on to other manufacturers, but we'll see. We can only hope. A lot of these manual only vehicles died off, you know, like the Focus RS, obviously, and some of the other platforms that are still there are getting old. Nissan 370Z is like older than I am at this point. Which I don't understand on the RS because it was such a highly demanded car. They wanted to keep production low, supposedly. I think it's because they knew their engines were freaking garbage. And that's what I was going to say. I think Ford got discouraged that they couldn't figure out how to keep a head gasket in them. Which I don't get. Why didn't you just do what you did back then and go right back to Cosworth, you know, to help design that engine? Because then they'd have had to ask fifty thousand sticker price for it, and then the dealers would have marked them up to seventy thousand. Still would have sold though. Yeah. Could you imagine? You know, this is an all-wheel drive, but it was engineered by Cosworth. The Cosworth that's, RS that sells itself. Yeah. yeah. Because people are paying fifty grand for old Sierra Cosworths that truly are shit boxes. Right. People are paying sixty grand for Delta Intergrales, like we was talking about earlier, and it's not because they're luxury cars. <laughs> It offers an experience that is unlike anything else. And enthusiasts like us will pay more to get less. I would sooner pay sixty grand for a Delta Integrale than I would basically anything on sale today. And yes, I know the doors are going to rattle. Most things probably won't work. (laughs) And commuting in it will probably not be fun. And you don't care about that. You want that experience. You'll pay to get it. And, you know, I love GTRs, but does it offer a true driver car experience? No, it doesn't. You could get a better experience out of a Cayman manual for less money than you could that. Will you get dusted by that same GTR at a track day? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, all day. (laughs) Sometimes, though, it's about how you get there. Right. And that, I don't know, that's my whole philosophy. I think that, you know, do you have anything to close out with on that? No, I mean, that's, we say it time and time again. That's, it's always up to us, the enthusiasts, to keep this market alive. Even though it's so slim right now, you just got to let everybody, you know, let these automakers know that. We're seeing hope, you know? Yeah. Miata's still here. I don't think it's going anywhere. The Veloster and obviously. Like this new Yaris. We have to do our part and pick these things up and let them know that yeah we do want these types of cars here. That's my big thing to the enthusiasts listening. You can't just go on, you know, the Facebook page of the car you like. So you can't just go comment on Alfa Romeo's Facebook and say, we want this in a manual. You can't just go on Mitsubishi's page and say, we want an Evo. Decisions are made based off of sales. So if you want these things to happen, you have to go out and buy an equivalent of the thing you're trying to get, even if it doesn't exist from 
you might want, you know, this particular car, let's just say like a Focus RS, but it doesn't exist. Go out and buy the Yaris. Show people there's a market, and then one day that market will grow better. Right. But talking and acting are two different things, so you got to go out and buy the thing to make it happen. I think on that note, you know, I think this has been a really awesome second yeah. segment, just talking about auto trends and kind of what the enthusiast does want versus what they say they want. But Yeah, that's, that's the hard part. People say what they want, but then won't pay for what they want. It drives me nuts, because if I was buying a new car tomorrow, let's just say, like, a, if I was going out to buy a GTI tomorrow for, you know, twenty eight grand. And Volkswagen's like, you can delete power steering and get a manual rack, but it's a thousand more. I would check that box every day. I would pay more to get a shittier piece of equipment. Not only that, because it's in that aspect, you're defining it as your own. You're getting more of what you want. So it makes that investment seem more feasible or, you know, seem like you're not compromising. You're getting what you want. Even though you're paying more, you're getting exactly what you want. That's why we all like to make fun of Porsche because you literally pay like three grand to delete AC out of your GT3, but you better believe I'd probably check that box. (laughs) I'd be the guy fucking optioning radio deletes and paying to not get equipment that I would otherwise get. But I would by far be that guy, so... If you're one of those guys who are buying them, and I know we've had a commenter who has a GT3, mm-hmm. I commend you for doing that. Yeah. yeah, you might have paid ten grand to lose options, but hey, you're making a statement. I, I love it. That's my kind of enthusiast. Not only that, come 20, 30 years down the road, that car is going to be able to say, this car was optioned like this, this oh, is super yeah. rare, and it's going to maintain its value like this. <laughs> We have serial killer dogs. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the car Pebble Beach pulling $3 million versus yeah. the one with AC pulling one. Right. Because this was a 1% option, but this guy had it. This car was one of so many in this color with these options. You know, it's yeah. they break them down like that. It's the only signal green, you know, GT3 RS that he paid to delete the radio. <laughs> yep. I think on that note, with the dogs going crazy, we're almost right at two hours. Yeah, this is great. I think so. You know, I've loved I've loved this this segment and this whole episode. Honestly, it's been great. On that note, this is Matt. This is Nathan. Reminding you not only to modify and maintain and drive your cars, but go buy the shit you say you want. For please, see you next time. See you.